All right, welcome to Texans Unfiltered. Um, my name is John Wade. I am the host. I am beyond, beyond excited for the guest that I have this week. Um, I'm joined by the host of the Turn Up For What podcast. It is, I'm going to say it's Great Britain's number one Texans podcast. Is that a pretty safe statement to say? Well, I believe it's the only international podcast. That's certainly <laughs> what I tell people when they ask. But yeah. The only. So then it's definitely number one. I mean, you got no competition, yeah. so it's by default, That's right? It, yeah. Well, current market at the minute, but uh, we'll see how that long that lasts. <laughs> and I, well, honestly, I hate to say it, but I can't imagine that there's a huge demand right now for Texans content overseas. Um, wrong, but, you know, just the way things are going, I, I, I don't see it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think it's uh, it's certainly. I think I think it's peaked. Hard knocks, London games, and uh, yeah, I think we're on the on the downslope of that now. So, how are we doing? How are you feeling? Yeah, all right. It's good. Good draft weekend, isn't it? I think it's. Uh, you start to feel like football's coming back, or you're you starting to get into the the time where off the off season starts to speed up a little. I think. So yeah, that was, I mean, yeah, it's it's an interesting weekend. A lot to talk about on on that front, and the yeah, I mean, as the team continues to do on and off the field, keeping it pretty interesting. Definitely. So I have to ask: Are you going to have to change the name of your podcast? Well, it was always meant to be a rhetorical question, really. Of you know, why did I do this to myself? So I think it's probably now more pertinent than it's ever been, really, um, in terms of questionable life choices i think you know we've probably got one if not more than one sports team that we've dedicated time and effort and sacrifice and put you know family and things over when you probably shouldn't have but i suppose there's something that keeps you coming back isn't there so uh yeah i don't we'll, we'll probably keep it i think it's still pertinent maybe if you start winning then you're going to be changing it then but uh seems a few years off right now well you also have that out where you can always just transition to a cardinals podcast well, yeah, that's true. I think, I mean, I suppose... I or suppose even a Steelers, I guess, at this point, because you got TF yeah. there, so... Yeah. You have your I mean, out. If the Texans ever get so bad, <laughs> you could just go, you know what? We're, we're about the Watt brothers instead. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it was... it was I never, ever sort of had any delusions of grandeur about wanting to be successful or wanting to be associated with a winner. I've never had that in any sort of sports team that I've followed. So I'm kind of used to this. I think I was I was pre-prepared um, for this all, you know, and I think it's, uh, you know, you, you that all, you know, like we were saying before we came on, I think when the highs, you know, and inevitably in some form will come back again, when they do, you know, I'll appreciate them more. And I think, you know, that's probably one thing that a lot of people have probably taken from the last the last few months and weeks. A couple of years, really. So I think it's it's it remains to be pertinent. I think the the big the, the time actually when I thought about doing it about you was was the spiral fumble night in Denver and getting a flight home uh, from Denver the next day with a terrible hangover, a weather delay, sitting in this bar in whatever the airport name in Denver is, and just thought, I don't know why I keep doing this myself. But apart from the COVID year last year, done it every year since and a number before that. So. Yeah, it's pretty addictive, is it? Like you, you get people say married to the game, but I suppose it gets in your blood a bit, doesn't it? I think after uh, after long enough. Yeah, no doubt. It's like this this off season. I've joked around a lot, but I mean, let's be honest. Part of the reason the football is great is the uh, relationships we build um, with everybody and having other friends and people, even if it's just individuals that you talk with over Twitter. Like can't leave a team, can't leave all those people. You can't leave those relationships you've met or those family members. I mean, well, my brother did, but you know, forget him. <laughs> but but there's just so much that goes into it that's around the game. Now, the game is, of course, it means a lot to us, and we're hoping that we're going to actually get to go for a team that's a winner. Because when you get to have fun with your friends, it's a lot better than when we have to sit there and commiserate with our friends. Saying that. Do you think about the Texans? Do you think they got any better this weekend? I, I don't. I, I didn't ever think at any point it was probably possible for them to get, you know, incrementally better that would yield enough talent to make a difference year one. I think if they were going to pick up any 
guys at any position. Uh, and I suppose the assumption or the broad assumption would have been that they would have they would have picked up on defense. They seemed to whether it was the board following that way, John, or whether it was, you know, um perhaps the just just the availability of of the of the type of guys they wanted. It didn't seem that it didn't seem that they did get much better, I don't think. Um someone said it didn't get worse. And I think yeah, you're probably right. And I think I think there was always going to be incremental improvements this off season. And I know the competition mantras continually repeated to everybody. But I do think that will go some way, I think, to you know pushing the fine margins of certain players at certain positions, particularly role players on the roster. And then I think there's also an element of the coaching staff not being any worse than it than it could, you know, than it had been in previous years. So um it's it's always good to have new additions. And I think maybe the top two or three guys will potentially have a role at some point. Um but you know it's it's a two to three year evaluation, I think, of every draft before you can make a sort of definitive conclusion on on the on the quality of it. Okay. Well, coming out of the draft currently, um, you know, because instant reactions with draft night are always 100% correct. I mean, we did boo JJ Watt after all. Um, the Texans have the lowest GPA. Um, if you look at all the analysts on how they did for their draft. Now, there's also something out that, there that's a little bit interesting and that I retweeted. Pretty much this guy went through and he took what teams picked guys that were slotted or projected to go higher. So which guys got the guy, most players that fell? So essentially what that means is if somebody was projected to be drafted in the second, like it was a consensus second round pick, and then he fell to the third, um, they gave that team essentially a, like a point, like a measurement or whatnot. And yeah, according yeah. to that, the Texans came in fourth. So all the experts, when they had pre predicted where these players were going to be drafted, they fell. The Texans actually cleaned up on guys that were falling that should have been drafted earlier by by predictions. But the the same analyst after the draft gave the Texans a failing grade for their draft. Now, that's two pretty extreme bill or extreme views. You got one place where it's like fourth, like the Texans are making out like bandits, like they got some good players, and you got a bunch of other, another ranking where it's saying that the Texans just had a horrible draft. Personally, without discussing the players, where where do you feel like the Texans did? Just where do you feel? Because, I mean, let's be real. Yeah. Like, no one knows yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I tweeted out over the week. I think draft grades, I know that I, I know that they're done thing, but they're the most pointless, I mean, the pointless kind of, to try and grade something on a scale that takes into no account the team's position, number of picks, uh, ranking in the draft, plus their needs, plus all the talent and all the variables that go into all these lottery picks that are draft picks. I just don't see how that you know means anything to anything to to anything that you know anything that anybody's willing to look into in any sort of level of detail. I just don't see how you could kind of. Sort of, you know, see if ESPN gives you a C minus, and that, you know, in fact means a below average, you know, outing for your team. But I, yeah, I, over, yeah, overall, I, th I think it's it it, it it's a longer term pro uh, projection, and it is a projection from day one, um, and you just don't know, you just don't know. And I think there's so, I think draft Twitter and social media as a whole, I think, you know, and with the Deshaun episode, there's two very different worlds, I think, isn't there? There's the people that are actually making personnel decisions, and then there's people who would like to make personnel decisions. Um, and those worlds are, you know, very, very far apart and have very, very different influences in what creates and shapes their thinking. So, I, I you know, they're both entertaining. You know, draft night is entertaining. Um, but they are abstract for a reason, I think, and uh, they're 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 very um, they're very separate. So yeah, I think it's 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 so hard to tell. I think if you if you um, if you live and die by the sort of um, the the Twitter sphere of up and downs of your team, then it's uh, you're gonna you're gonna age pretty quickly. I think so. It's <laughs> you've just got to. I think you just got to be pragmatic and take a longer term view of 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 these guys, and and we'll you know and we'll see. I think you know we're only probably now. Kind of in a position to assess 2019's draft class, which, by all, by all intents and purposes, is only that great. But I would give it another year before you, before you rubber stamp it. 
Yeah, no, definitely. I just, I always think it's interesting how the cat is. And, you know, honestly, my belief coming out of this is I think that Nick Casario looked at his draft picks. He doesn't, he said it himself that anything after the second round is just a total crapshoot. Like, I think that's almost his verbiage. I need to find exactly what he said, but that's what he's, he, he was implying, if nothing else, that you just don't know what third, third round picks and beyond are going to be. So I believe he wholeheartedly went in there and he didn't think of anything the Texans needed and he got the best player on his on his board, whether or not we agree with it or not. And I think that if you take a look at like the guys that fell that we grabbed, that makes sense. Like that lines up. That's what supports that narrative. Like every single draft pick we had was expected to be picked sooner. So in my mind, that just reinforces that Nick Casario just went best player available. And I think that young Ari gold, James, I think he's, I think he's over the moon by that. I haven't actually talked to him about it, but last year on this podcast, that's what he screamed out. You just go BPA, BPA every single time, best player available. doesn't matter if you have anybody at that position or not, best player available, let them compete, get them on our roster, let them compete. Even if we have strength of that roster, make a strength even stronger. And I think the Casario completely bought in with that. Now, with that, we're going to go ahead and start talking about our picks. However, I'm going to save uh, Mr. Mr. Uh, uh, Davis Mills until to be the last one. Even though he was the first one we talked about, because he's a quarterback, there's a lot of extra drama and a lot of extra baggage and a great big microscope on that poor kid because he's a quarterback. Even th- and he was our first pick, even though he was a third-round pick. So I think there's a lot more meat with him. But we're going to start off, we're going to skip him. We'll come back around to him because he's probably going to be the meat of the show. So Nick Collins, the Texans actually traded up. They traded that um, the draft pick that they received from the Rams, I believe, the fourth round pick to move up, go get Nico Collins. What you feeling about him? You excited about him? Do you think he's any good? I think, I mean, I suppose the, the jury is out for most people. I think, for, you know, for veterans and for rookies coming in of, guys that opted out you know he took a year out with covid so it's um you know there's so much that could happen when you when you don't do anything for a year um you know you're you're going to get rusty in some form or another um so he's not played he's not played many games or any games uh versus the guys he have so you got to think you know logically he may well be a disadvantage from that i think what was quite telling was the the tr- the trade i think because effectively we've given up a third round pick to get up they were given next year's fourth la's we gave a fifth and then uh and a fourth of our own so we, you know it was it was quite a hefty price to pay i think you know by the the jimmy johnson draft value chart it was an overpay i think would be the the thing going by analytics which i think is interesting because if you know going from a numeric completely binary um numeric kind of look that um, Casario obviously takes it kind of flew in the face of that so he sort of you know I think he does it he, he takes that approach to a point and then I think there was there was perhaps an element of you know best player available, best player available we we'll just have to you know do what we need to do to acquire this guy and I think when you look at him on the surface he's a prototypical X receiver what we've not been you know you know bar the years of Andre Johnson obviously and then we had some you know good years of hop uh, before we jettison them, I think we've not really had a, a you know somebody who can get up and and uh, get up and high point the ball and and be a red zone threat. You know, and Andrew Johnson was you know grossly underutilized in the red zone and probably um, you know took tens of if not you know thirty touchdowns off his off his name because of uh, the Kubiak sort of preference to run it in in the red zone. But I think the the um the measurables are there um he, he came into the senior bowl sort of circa 15 pounds lighter than his playing weight you know that was measured in and 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 an hour bar so for the for the wolverine so i think he's got you know everything on paper that you would want for a receiver he ticks the box and i think it's been a big need for a long time you need an x you can't just fill a a wide just receiver room with you know z types and um and that's what we're trying to do so i think it's um it's it's definitely uh definitely a need for the texans and i think you know if you watch his tape it's just getting up and catching balls he's maybe not the crispest route runner um perhaps doesn't quite play at that or he's not got tape out at that 
40 time, but I don't think anybody has tape out of those 40 times this year. Um, but certainly he ticks all the boxes and could be, you know, a really good value addition um, at that point in the draft. And I think he's a big school pedigree guy who's obviously, you know, maybe not had the best quarterback in Shea Patterson, probably suppressed his numbers to a degree. So I think there's a there's a lot to like there. You know, a 74-inch wingspan is something that, well, you know, will you will find your way to the football more often than not. So he's got some great, you know, he's got some great tape, and he's got, you know, of the of the glory catches. But then even a great catch, I put a clip on Twitter of him beating Pat Sertan for a first down to move the chains on a third down tight call, you know, and just you know, and do the nitty gritty work, and that's something the Texans definitely missed without you know DeAndre Hopkins. So I think he offers a lot of different types of plays as well in offense. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. He's very toolsy. Uh, he ran a four four five at a pro day, so you, so he's a four five runner. So he's not slow. He's he's where where he needs to be. Something that's interested with him is he has a ninety fourth percentile catch radius. So I would think that his lowest range of outcomes is he's literally just like a chain mover, like with that much speed and that catch radius. He may not be the guy but he could definitely be like option B or option C that just reliable ca- reliably catches the ball, moves the chains. That's what I'm hoping with him. That's what I'm thinking. But because he is a very toolsy, his, his, his ceiling is so much higher than that. However, my biggest concern from him from watching the tape that I've seen, and granted I didn't watch that much, is he looks like he plays like a big guy. I, I was actually surprised that he ran a 4-4-5 at his pro day because if you watch his game tape, I'm concerned that he plays a little slow. He doesn't really jump off the field. And granted, that could be part of it being Michigan. Uh, Michigan, I don't know what was going on with their passing game. Shea Patterson was absolute trash. Um, and I mean that I mean that with as much um, respect as I possibly can for a kid playing quarterback in at, at Michigan. But yeah, he, he was not a good quarterback. Um, who was the guy that... The receiver that blew up last year that was from Michigan that just completely underwhelmed. I am blanking on his name. I should have known Pe- it. Pe- Peoples Jones, was it? Yeah. Pe- Peoples Jones, yes. Yeah. Doesn't do anything at Michigan, comes out, gets a decent quarterback, and looks like a completely different player. So I think that that could possibly happen with Nico. I um, hope it does. But we will see. Um, but no, he's definitely, in my opinion, he is probably the strongest pick that we had. Um, well, maybe him and Roy Lopez. We'll talk about Roy here in a little bit. Mm. But of the guys that we picked, like Nico, I could see as being a starting caliber player. And even for as a low end starting caliber player, like he's going to he's gonna be on the field. I, I just I just see that with him. Uh, the next pick we had up was pick number 147. That is Mr. Brevin Jordan. Oh, announced the pick. It was quite a strange experience, wasn't it? Really, I didn't think he'd put himself in the firing lines. Another, perhaps, uh, full power by the PR staff. I think uh, there seems to be a lot of them. And then I think I, I don't know if you caught the comment at the end as well, Janice. I mean, she's an old, you know, a lovely old lady, but you know, she's you know, I, I can't remember the sort of comment. She just you know sort of exclaimed, "Oh, this is wonderful." Um, at the end of the pick, you know, I thought it was a bit. It was quite a strange moment for a family that probably want to keep themselves out of the uh, out of the headlines, I would think, but um, or out of the limelight certainly. Um, but Brevin Jordan, I think I was I was actually live on a on a podcast when the pick came in, and I, and as I've seen to you at the start, I've probably watched more college football in the last couple of days than I did in well certainly last year. I think just with the the toil of the or the. Um, or the toll of the Texans film and, and games every week, probably uh, you got your kind of fill from it. But I think that the the my first reaction was exactly that. He's a move tight end. He's an F, you know. And you, you're seeing people take those guys earlier and earlier every year, and uh, and you thought, okay, well, fair enough. So then watch the watch these uh, bowl game scores two touchdowns, two point conversion, you know, run after the catch, hurdles a DB, uh, you know, he he barrels over a couple of guys for a first down and you think okay this guy's got you know definitely got some production with the ball you look at his tape against North Carolina he was over 100 yards same with the game against Louisville as well 
um, even though the Carolina one was a, a blowout for um, for uh, North Carolina, sorry. And um, and so you definitely got some production. But then when you go and watch the the Florida State game, he's 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 lined up as a true as a true tight end um, on the end of the formation. He seals the edge. Don't get me wrong; a lot of it's combo blocking and and helping with the tackle. Um, but he but it was obviously a bit more of a physical game plan, and he goes and. He goes and asserts himself and at the line of scrimmage, and I think that's what you know—that's the kind of skill set that you will need to be a true starting tight end in the league. And I think there is a, um, there's definitely you know you definitely need you need that if you're just going to think you're just going to run it there and catch passes and leak out late um, and chip people, you're probably not going to get as many snaps as you would like. So I think seeing the fact that he has got some potential upside or at least a willingness or an attitude to go and make blocks in the trenches and help his teammates. I think that only stand them in good stead. And I think, you know, this could be the very well a start of the end for Kahali Waring if it's not started already. And then I think it might give them an exit plan for Jordan Aitkins as well if it can if it can um if he can if he can perform because I I, I struggle to see in the position we're in and the situation of a rebuild effectively what it is. Um are you going to pay a move tight end money in in your salary cap when you may be carrying some dead cap from a departed quarterback. You may or may not be doing that. So I think it was it was obviously just be you know best player available. Felt like they couldn't say no, uh, but you know the more you sort of dug into, it, you think yeah this guy's got a got a fair bit of upside considering you picked him at the top of the fifth. I have a question. Why does everybody keep writing off Kahale Warren as the guy that Brevin Jordan is going to replace? Um, Warren, granted, he did have the least playing time out of, you know, Barrow Brown and, and Jordan Akins. He's, when he was drafted, he was drafted to be more of an inline tight end with the potential to become a, um, a, a pass catcher. Like Warren was a better blocker when he was drafted. Like that's why everybody thought that his ceiling was high is you get a guy that can actually block that has the potential to turn into a pass catcher. Whereas yeah. Brevin Jordan profiles to be a less athletic version of Jordan Aikens. Not not as somebody that's going to turn into an inline blocker. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I don't think... Well, I think, I suppose, from the time they drafted Kahali to now, the offense has probably evolved. I mean, quite truly what the offense will be this year. I don't think anybody knows under David Cully, you know, Pip Hamilton or... Um, was he Chip Kelly there, but Tim Kelly, um, you know, and I think it's, we, we, I suppose you probably don't know exactly what it is. So, I mean, all the rules or any perception of these guys' rules could be completely redefined um, by the, by the, by the change in the coaching staff or an evolution of the scheme. I think, I suppose it's, it's a numbers game, isn't it? Because of the position, you may or have one or two on the field, you'll likely keep four max. You definitely won't keep five. Um, so if you think Aitkins is the, you know, is the, is the most proven out of the, Remainder, you're probably going to keep your draft pick. That leaves two two more spots. You've re-signed Farrell Brown, so um, yeah. I mean, he, they may well do. They may only keep three. Um, so yeah, I suppose it's probably a it's probably a, a, a broad assumption at the minute to to think that it, in fact will be Kahali that, that that moves. I think he deserves a chance. I think he profiles, as you said, to be a blocker, and you would have some upside. I think the issue was when he got snaps last year. I don't think he necessarily. You know, did any great blocking? Um, I remember he absolutely whiffed on one at Chicago. I mean, it was a bad day for everybody that, but um, he, uh, you know, he didn't he didn't necessarily he didn't necessarily kind of um, endear himself with any kind of blocking ability to his teammates or you know anybody on looking. So I think he's not he's, he's probably not done enough at this stage. Just to say the text where to move on from um, to to probably catch on somewhere else unless somebody was willing to just take a chance on draft slate alone, and that that does happen. Um, but yeah, I think yeah, you're probably right. You probably want to split them out into two separate roles, and actually, then if you're going to keep um, four tight ends, you can you can you afford to then keep three of them as, as sort of F kind of move tight ends, and you probably want to keep you know two and two as opposed to, to so you can replace the skill set on the roster. But um, yeah, he may he may or may not go. Um, but I think yeah, I think you know, and, you, and it's a it's a big projection. But if you watch Brevin Jordan, he you know he, he's throwing passes on trick plays. He was a big part of their offense. Um, you know, you can see the comment if you watch the broadcast version just to get a bit of context. I think it's always useful. You see them them sort of you know you know talking about in great detail about what he meant to that offense and 
Um, you know, and I think it was, it was a decent year for Miami overall. And they've started to come back in the last couple of years, but it uh, he, he certainly he certainly offers something. I think for a fifth round pick, you kind of want that level of intrigue and, and some production. So he he uh, he ticks all the boxes there. And I think he doesn't look like he plays two four five. Um, looks a bit leaner than that. Um, but uh, but I think he's he's definitely got some some potential anyway. As 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 you need as many pass catching options, I think in the in the skill positions as you can find. Yeah, no, Brevin Jordan was the consensus number three. Some people actually had him as the number two tight end, tight end in this draft. So the fact that he fell, uh, to me, just says that there's a lot of doubt is blocking. Um, that's yeah. just to me. Because he's he is athletic enough. He, he is able to play the move tight end or the flex tight end, whatever the Texans end up calling it this year. Um, he's able to play. I think he'll be fine as an H-back. And he actually compares physically to like a Hunter Henry type. Like he's, he has potential. Like he's think that he's a very solid pick. I do think that it kind of opens up the, what are they doing with the tight end position? This isn't me saying that I think Warren's going to make the team over Aikens. Aikens has a track record, but I'm just not saying that it's a foregone conclusion. And then there's the other, there's the other free agents they've brought in. I think they've signed a half dozen tight ends. I think that it's just interesting to watch. I don't think, I think it goes back to what I was saying about Casario, though. He came in and he drafted the best player available on his board, regardless of position. He's just going to drop another guy in to be a part of the competition. And it'll be interesting to see. And it'll be interesting to see what they want to do with their tight ends. Because as much as I like Aikens, and I think that with the right situation and the right offense, he would have been a more productive player. Um, He was like, two years ago, he was the number one tight end. Like, he was just apps or not like top six in the NFL for all receivers and yards after catch. Like he is an, a very athletic individual. And I think that he's a very solid tight end, but he's also, we keep waiting for him to break out and he's now 29, mm. he maybe 30 by the time the season hits. Like it just may not happen for him um, just because of that age, even though he does have a lot of talent and Brevin Jordan, actually very, 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 very similar skill set to him. So I think that'll be, that'll be interesting. Um, next up after that, the Texans moved up again to pick another linebacker. (laughs) What do we have? We have like 50 linebackers on the roster at this point. I'm pretty sure half the team is a linebacker. Um, this is for Garrett Wallow. Uh, he's a converted safety, uh, to linebacker out of TCU. Uh, you got an, what do you think about this kid? So I've watched the the two Oklahoma games against the Sooners and state, um, I don't know what the, I mean. As you said, I mean it was alluded to um, earlier, and we talked about it earlier today as well that they were, they were they were not trading up to get him. And I think when you watch the tape, that's really obvious um, because I can't imagine why you would be giving up was it three picks effectively because you traded up once the hundred seventy second. They were not with Buffalo, and then we traded up again. They were not with LA. Um, is that right, or the other way around? But um, but. You know, moving up twice to get yourself in a position. I think. I think this came down to what we we're talking about earlier, and Casario said about there there aren't many picks beyond the fifth round that you wouldn't lump in with free agency. And I think, and he also said a number of times on different interviews, we didn't want to just be picking players for the sake of it. And I think this was kind of the position he got to. So I think, I think the thought process was we need to move up because otherwise we're just picking people that don't have a draftable grade. So it makes no sense to him. You know, again, going back to that binary kind of viewpoint um and then i think they just had a run of guys that they they wanted and 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 they all went i think by the time they were so they traded up again because they thought maybe there was there was one one left and 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 they went and uh and i think when you watch garrett's tape i, I mean look i think tcu is I, I don't watch a huge amount of that conference but you know he's six one he doesn't look like he plays six one he's got a terrible habit of kind of getting up to the line predominantly he plays mike but he'll get up to the line and he will he will sort of peek his head into the hole and then so all of a sudden he's consumed by a blocker. And particularly against Oklahoma when they got, you know, big pedigree guys up, up front in the trenches, he just looked like, you know, like a, a small guy getting consumed and he looked out of place at times, I thought, on that tape. Um, there's there's a sort of stretch sort of zone play to the right. He is un 
he he goes up to the hole and challenge, and he just kind of gets his pursuit angle wrong, and the and the run and the tailback takes it wide, you know, for a eight or nine yard gain. And there's a couple of ones. He, and look, he makes plays when he's free and he's got the chance, you know, most of the time, you know, in the in the Oklahoma State game, he does make a TFL right at the start, uh, but then he then he gets caught out in zone um, zone coverage, and look, you don't know what the rules are unless you're in the huddle and zone coverage. It was particularly how the defender moves between the levels, and that's often how you'll get yards against those kind of looks. But he gets caught out in that. He gets you know completely kind of annihilated on the broadcast for it. I don't necessarily think it was his fault, but I think what the play did show was a lack of movement, a lack of movement skills, lateral ability, and I think he can. He's, he's okay when things are in front of him. I don't think he can play as a mic. Um, and a four three. Um, look, I think he's he's Brian Peters, you know, kind of upside. I think he's a special teams guy. Um, he'll come in and do a job. People like him because he'll be, you know, he's a captain. He'll he'll make plays on special teams. He'll run down and, and tackle. And you can maybe help you. That in a was pinch my trick. comp. You just yeah, you, you read my mind. Like that's <laughs> that's what I was going to lead off with. It's yeah. Brian Brian Peters Rita. Yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. I hate to interrupt. Yeah. Keep going. No, 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 you're right, and that's it. I think it's just what it is, and I think that that's where when you start to question the overall quality of the draft class at this point, because if you think, well, Brian Peters, he was an undrafted free agent, as was Dylan Cole. If this was the skill set that you coveted, which this is why I'm saying I don't think they did, because you could have got that as an undrafted free agent. Um, you know, there were ten a penny, and there was other guys that went later. And I think at this stage as well, why do you just take a shot on a on a defensive back when you're short of them? You know. Um, rather than rather than uh, than a guy who's a bit undersized and a decent defense, but I think he's he just he just doesn't make an he just won't make enough plays, and I just don't think he can um, he can uh, he can read the field well enough, and it's a bit it's a bit lack of conditioning and a bit lack of agility, I think, just in his lateral movement. But I think he, he he's the type of guy that the team have around. Yeah, no, I mean he's. I think that there's definitely something to the Nate Hobbs rumor that the Texans wanted Nate Hobbs and that he got picked the pick ahead of him. Um, mm. Hobbs um, better fit the profile of all their guys because just about everyone other than uh, Brevin Jordan that was previously picked. So, okay, two players prior. They, um, they had connections to the new Texans coaching staff. Like Casario wasn't really – didn't really seem to be relying on his scouting department so much as the relationship that his coaching staffs have brought up, which is fair. When you're a new GM, you inherit GM's uh, scouting department. You, they don't get turned over until after the draft. They always let them finish out. That's why over the next couple of weeks, you're going to see quite a few guys in player personnel, college personnel from the Texans get let go. Don't go screaming Easter Bee. Because believe it or not, this time it's not Easter Bee. This is Casario, a hundred percent. He's he. Well, I'm sure Easter Bee probably still has something, but it's not a squarely on him. This is Casario doing normal GM things when redoing the uh, redoing the the scouting department and the player personnel department. Like that's normal. And with that, yeah. his new coaches had connections to Nico. They had connections to uh, to Mills. Uh, Jordan Brevin Jordan just seemed like the obvious pick. Like I'm pretty sure if either of any of us were picking and we're just going off best player available, we would have picked him. And with that, my whole point, Nate Hobbs fit that mold of having a relationship with Lovey Smith already existing. So I think that was their target. Garrett Wallow, for whatever reason, was their fallback. Not in love with the pick. Um, I'm right there with you. It's Brian Peters um, at best. Yeah. And that's kind of what we're hoping for with him. And we already have every free agent linebacker signed anyways, that they weren't a tier one free agent and they were a linebacker. They're on the Texans right now. So to me, just kind of a head scratcher reinforces my belief that Nick went in there, best player available. And for whatever reason, that's who they saw as the best player available. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm I'm probably with the rather taking a kicker at that point, you know, because then you could have got Cali, um, you could have got um, Kaimi's contract off the books. I think he's like our eighth or ninth highest paid player this year, um, you know. So like something like that probably would have been, you know, more beneficial to the longer term roster building than a, a special teams guy who you could, you know, who are ten a penny. Yeah, I, I'm definitely definitely in agreement. Uh, that's one that leaves my head scratching, but. You know, he gets paid the big bucks, and I can't crucify him yet because we got to see. We haven't seen anything about these players. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now we get to the end of we get to the end of the preseason. 
that, that we can start making judgments then, but it'll, at this point, we really won't know until the end of the season and maybe two years in a row where the Texans just don't play any rookies. Like that's what this class yeah. is kind of sort of screaming towards me. Yeah. However, one player that I do like that I'm very, very happy fell to the Texans is Mr. Roy Lopez. Um, do you have any thoughts on Mr. Lopez? Well, he's easy to watch on film because he's got the big, long sort of blonde pon- ponytail sticking out the back. So he's um, yep. he's easy to spot, um, even if you're having to deal with the broadcast because the wildcat football is not the most adored, I suppose, across the networks. But um, I think with with and there's not enough NFL guys called Roy, I think. So good to good to get him, get one in the Roy column, I think, um, for uh, for for all the Roys out there. But I think that the um, the, the the profile he reminds me of Danny Shelton. I, I when you watch him play, kind of similar build, not you know prototypical kind of six four six five guys to sort of carry that three twenty plus. Um, I'm sure Danny Shelton's coming in more than three twenty these days, but but he um he he pushes the pocket. I watched the Colorado game from last year, and I watched the USC game, um, and he he forces a QB hurry and gives an interception against Colorado. Um, and there's a there's a sort of goal line pile, um, and I tweeted out the clip, and I, I think it was his agent retweeted it, and and you just see him emerge from the pile. He's the only Arizona um, helmet that you see pushing the pile back, and it's from it's from the sky cam, so it's a great angle for it. Um, I mean, it ends up in a touchdown, but you kind of see the push he's got. There's another clip where he he basically flips a USC lineman back, and you know they're pretty they've got a good sort of credible history of, of, of picking guards and centers and stuff like that. So he's he's got push and obviously, you know, Rex wrestler, you heard all that kind of stuff. His dad was a high school coach in Arizona, all that kind of stuff. 36 reps on the bench best um on the bench press. He gets sloppy with his pad level and he loses that leverage that he's got. So you, you can see in that clip that I put out, he's got functional playing strength, but I don't think he, he, his fundamentals lapse at times and, and he, he loses that leverage at the point of attack. So if he could be more consistent, but I think he'll always be a sort of three, 400 snap guy a year. I don't think you can, you know, you certainly can't get any more than that out of him. So, um, but he does consume two blockers. He holds up reasonably well. Um, but there, there is times where he kind of gets chasing and his footwork gets off and he's turned, his hips are turned and everything. So I think that there's a lot to like there. Um, of a, you know, at that stage of the draft, could could he come and be a run stuffer uh, for you on first and second down? You know, if you get that, then you know you're arguably you know it's a it's a high high value pick at that point because it's um it's a skill set that's um they are hard, they're hard to come by. Uh, but you, as you said, you know before we came on, you can get them towards the end of the draft. So. No, I think the, the 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 difference between him and Wallop, there's flashes there that you can get on board with, and he and he, he also see him in a couple of times actually. He he kind of sort of kind of st- stutter steps up to the line to to try and catch them off off guard and then bull rush them. So like you can almost see a role emerging from you know on some passing downs as well. Whereas you know where Wallow just couldn't see that and on the on the two on the two and a bit games that I watched. So no, I think that you, you can see a path to, to production there. And I think that's that's what you want at late round picks. No, definitely. He's he's you can find defensive ta- uh, defensive tackles late in the draft because they they've become regulated to a two down player. He's somebody that range of outcomes for me, I just I, I see him as ended up being a le- at a very least a rotational run stopper that it's like he has a little bit of football savvy he has a little bit of that dog in him that he might get in there and be a little bit more but if all he is is a run stopper just let him maintain a gaps in a four three then we're good yeah. especially yeah. especially for where he was picked you just rotate him in give your your pass rusher a down or two off stop the run a couple of times rotate him out and for a six round pick like yeah. You can't really ask for more. So I think that he's a very, very solid pick. All right. So this is where I'm sure we're going to end up talking the longest. Mr. Two Last Names himself, Davis Mills. <laughs> Our first pick of the draft, even though he was, what, pick 67 in the draft? Um, I've seen everything from he is a wasted pick to he is the next starting quarterback of the Houston Texans. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. This is why he's going to be a little bit of a fun conversation. Let's well, I'm going to let you talk first before I, I throw my opinion in it. 
So what, what are you thinking about Mr. Mills? Yeah, well, I think when you first see the pick and you see the position it is, it's your first pick in the draft, you think, well, you know, it's it's a it's a, one of the final, if not, you know, you know, the last few nails in the coffin of the whole Watson saga. Um, you know, it feels like a lifetime, but it's only been a couple of months, isn't it? Um, so that that's your kind of first inclination. And then I suppose when you see all the kind of stuff about being top recruit, pro-style quarterback, you know, but he, but he has had two big knee injuries. He's missed significant time. He's only got 11 stars. Well, one, 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 one was the meniscus. I mean, I've had a meniscus injury. I've also had an right. ACL injury. And I don't wish a meniscus on anybody. But, you know, no. on, on the scale of surgical knees, mm. well, that's the low end. So Yeah. So I mean, yeah, and I think he's 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 I think he's he's got a level of pedigree, um, and he's obviously to be, to be accepted at Stanford. You know, they're they're looking for a very specific type, very specific background, um, and you're going to have to be able to handle the, uh, the you know the academic GPA point of view from it as well as your as your playbook. You know, and you're, you're expected to balance them in, in, in equal measure. So I think there's. There's a lot there to like. I mean, when I went through, you know, I went through. I think I watched about six or seven of his games, um, just to try and get a feel for for what he, you know, what he is. And I think if you if you think he's, you know, classic pocket passer, he shuffles well with his feet. Very, you know, limited wasted movement. Um, his his biggest um, probably uh, plus is the fact that he just he anticipates throws at the point of release. The play hasn't even developed yet, and he trusts that. Now that's also his biggest negative because he throws some terrible, terrible interceptions into some terrible situations. He doesn't judge the, um, he doesn't judge by by any means or stretch. He, do, he just does not diagnose certain coverages, particularly cover four. That was a couple of times he got called up on that. You know, the run I think was one of the QB school um, videos. He really he, they're running up, they're running four verts against the against a cover four and he doesn't check it down you know kind of basic basic stuff so he he he's got a lot of tools in his armory i think he's 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 a decent athlete he's not immobile he he's able to scan the field you can see like you know again the qb school point this out there's a good couple of four-part clips if you've not watched that you can see him his head scanning he moves safeties with his eyes you know so kind of stuff that the, there's a lot of stuff there that's probably Guys don't get to year year one and year two in the league. Um, throws some nice passes. I think he probably, you know, I think if his deep ball accuracy had been better, I think Sammy Fioko probably would have gone higher than the sixth round uh, or fifth round or whenever he went. Um, he was a bit over reliant on him. Um, but I think when you watch, I think it was the Notre Dame tape. Um, I think he's got forty six attempts in that in twenty nineteen. Um, and you see, and that probably kind of gives you an idea of what his ceiling potentially is, because you've got a situation there where he needs to be supported by a run game, he needs to be supported by a good cast around him. And I think you know, out of those forty-six attempts, he didn't throw an interception that day, but it showed it wasn't his formula. And there's a lot of passes that bounced off the turf, uh, and he and he's you know, and there's regularly his, his completion percentage drops below the sort of dreaded sixty percent, which which he can't really afford to have in the pros. So there's a lot there uh, but there's also a lot to coach up and I think it's it's a tough challenge I think the Texans coaching staff are going to face of in a year where you're supposedly you're going to tank how do you develop a guy who you might be doing the team damage as well as him damage that needs game time and I, I don't know I don't know what the answer to that one is yeah um, the biggest well first off everybody needs to kind of cool their jets on him he's a third round pick yeah, yeah. and I think that there's a little bit that You've got to kind of look at the uh, the philosophy that the Casarios, I think, is bringing over from the Patriots. Every three years, the Patriots drafted a second or third round quarterback. You build up a, a backup quarterback and then you trade him. Now, I think that Casario, similar kind of mindset with him. The guy is probably not the future of the franchise. And he's not most likely going to be our starting quarterback. If he ends up being our starter quarterback, that's either two things happen. He lived up to number one recruit billing, which, you know, he might, I mean, it could happen or two, something absolutely drastically horrendous happened during training camp. And he's the only quarterback left standing. He's a third round pick. We have to keep that in mind. And the reason that he was a third round pick is he needs to play more. 
He just needs to play more. Now, there's a lot of um, analysts out there that were really high on him if he went back to school. He goes back to school for another year. He could have potentially moved up and end up being a top five next year. Um, He has the pedigree. He has the physical talents. But he doesn't have the game experience. This is why he was a third-round pick this year. He – how many games? I think he's started 11 games. Is that is that correct? Only 11 games in college? Yeah, yeah, I think 11 games um, until – right about that anyway. I mean, it's it's a small a small sample size, I think. And he's um, – there, there's – as I said, there's a lot to like on his tape, but it's just how does – how does he develop at the next level? Because he's not even developed at college, I think. And that's, you know, that's clear. It's inconsistent. I think the biggest thing I took it from it was there's good there's good plays, there's good series, but there isn't a single game you can watch that I've seen certainly or heard of that it's that it's four quarters of good football. And that's the kind of level of consistency he's going to need to find. It's at least not harming his team by bad interceptions. Yeah. Uh, Ryan just nailed it. Started 11, played 15. Played 15. Thank you so much, Ryan Chat. And with that, like you see glimpses of physical ability. And you even see sometimes the glimpses of him learning to process, but can he take that next step? And the trait that he has to develop, and I don't know if he can actually develop it in the NFL, as he may end up playing scared, is can he learn how to be that, that conservative, aggressive thrower? Can he take the risk with the throws and not be careless with the ball a la Jameis Winston, but, you know, take shots, push the ball down the field. And he, I mean, throw a couple down the field, but he's not pushing it down the field. He's not putting pressure on the secondary. And I don't know if that's play calling at Stanford or him needing to take another step. Now, if he's able to take that next step, then, yeah, we'll probably have have an absolute steal. Now, if he doesn't take that step, then backup quarterback. Like that's a very safe bet for him. But he we shouldn't be putting this pressure on him that he's going to be anointed this the savior or the starter or the replacement for Deshaun, because I don't think that's any of those. Yeah, no, I hope I hope not. I think he, he yeah, the, there's definitely an issue with his deep ball accuracy. You see him kind of pull the ball down and check it and pump fake and maybe not trust his eyes as much as he should do at times. Um, and then other times he doesn't. So I think he's probably just not had enough games at that level to know what he can and can't try. I think and he's he's got a lot of uh he's got a lot of nice movement skills as well. There's a couple of stuff where he just evades pressure nicely, just with a kind of just you know small step to the side. And I think as well, there's a play where he gets picked off and he chases a guy down and knocks him out of bounds. And he just, and to me that just shows he's a competitor and he wants to win football games. You know, and he he put he put himself above the team in that in that sense. You know, to to quote a, a Caseri wisdom. So there 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 is a lot there to like. And I think it's a shame from, I think, in the situation in terms of having the, the cloud of the Watson situation hanging over. He's going to have that, just like Caserio's had the, that, that coming into his race. He's not got an even footing to start off with. And I think he's lucky he's got Tyrod Taylor there. And ideally, you want Tyrod Taylor, if that's going to be the way um, and the outcome, to, to play all the games and him just to sit and watch and learn and, you know, and, and get, get as many snaps in preseason as he can. You get a good idea of it. And then in case of an emergency, could he come and spot fill for a couple of series or, or close out a couple of games, you know? Um, but there, yeah, I, I think there's there's a lot there to like, but there's a lot of bad throws, a lot of bad decisions, a lot of bad sacks he takes. Um, and it just looks like, it just screams of somebody of inexperience. But there is certain things like hitting crossers, dropping balls and buckets, you know, over the different lines of defense. He mm-hmm. does that already. So um, I, I think the fact that he, he is potentially, and you don't want to sort of kind of, Assume, but you you think he's going to have a mental advantage over a lot of quarterbacks, um, just with the environment he's been in and probably the standards he's been held to. I think in terms of in terms of that program, you think that's going to stand him in good stead because that's the biggest thing that challenges a lot of guys when they make the step up is not the physical side of it. It's it's it's, it's uh, being able to learn playbook and, and all the kind of checks and keys and stuff. And he said in an interview on the Stanford website, you know, our protections are actually more complicated than some of the ones in the pros. Um, you know, and, and so I think the fact that he's aware of that and understands that I think shows quite a mature guy for his age. So you know, this you know, if this pays off in any way, 
as you said, even if it's just the form of flipping him for a pick, and I think there's a number of players Casario signed, Desmond King, for example, on that contract. He's a prime, you know, uh, deadline trade. Um, there's a couple other guys on there as well. Philip Lindsay, maybe that you know you could maybe flip for picks in the trade once the season's kind of gets out of hand. And I think you know, looking at the roster, it's got a very good chance of that happening. Then uh, you know he could he could be flipped um, in a year's time or two years time. So um, I think it's it's high payoff again. It comes back to that sort of analytic kind of very kind of clear matter of fact thinking from Casario. But I think the, yeah, people all, because they've got the situation to Watson will look at it differently if you just had to pick them up. Anyway, you know, I think he's so he's got that to deal with. Yeah, I mean, kid, yeah, I mean, he has a lot of potential, and I, I do appreciate the moxie and his pushback when people asked him about um, how many games he played. He talked about the virtual games and all the all the walkthroughs and stuff they did at Stanford. So I, 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 I give him credit for that. Like, he, he's got a little bit of moxie to him. He's got a little bit of confidence, um, but. I don't know. He just doesn't have a lot of, he doesn't have a lot of games and that's yeah. what's concerning. And, you know, to tell you the truth, like sometimes with, uh, quarterbacks in college, I would rather see more interceptions. He has a streak of five games in a row um, in, in last season where he didn't throw any interceptions. He threw all three of his interceptions in the UCL, UCLA game, all three mm -hmm. for the season. So, and the reason I say that is it's easier to teach a quarterback to be more conservative than it is teach aggression. You can't teach aggression. Yeah. Like, so timid quarterbacks become career backups. And I don't know if he's a timid quarterback or not. I, that's, that's my problem. Just based on the tape out there. Like, I don't know if he's timid. Uh, the other thing that's really hard to learn is touch. And he has that in spades. Like he, yeah. he actually, he, he can put a good touch on the ball. Like he can, and I think he actually has – he can clean up his mechanics some. He drops his elbow a little bit too much for – he's not Pat Mahomes. Pat Mahomes can have shitty, Mahomes, shitty mechanics and, and still rocket the ball. But for the rest of the human quarterbacks, they've got to have pretty solid mechanics. And his, his needs some working. But if he gets that strength, the arm strength is there, that he has more than enough arm strength for the NFL. Like, he'd be a plus arm strength passer in the NFL. So again, lots of potential there, but it's all potential. He didn't have enough games to really say definitively what we have. And with that, and not trying to trash him, I'm just saying everybody needs to manage. Yeah. And Ryan Chat points out that his receivers also had a, a bad case of the dropsies. But I'm going to say that with, with Mills, Shoot, I just lost my thought. I should have stayed out of chat. Yeah, I, was, I, I know. <laughs> I sometimes. Uh, well, I was I was going to say that. I think the couple of things that I always look for in college, because I think because the, ha the, the hashes are spread out, so the type of throws and the, the angle of the throws often change a bit. But what doesn't change and what the hardest bit is to do is actually get throws up the boundary. Now, he's, he's go routes, he's posts. He's not very good at finding guys like that. I think, you know, everybody said, watch the UCLE game. And I couldn't believe he airmailed one to, 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 uh, to the... The, the guy who's just been drafted by Dallas, he, um, he airmailed one and missed them by about 10 yards, you know, when it was a, a big point in the game where they needed points and, um, you know, and they probably would have won it at normal time if, if, he'd, uh, if he'd have found them there. But he, he does make great throws. He, he throws a, a lovely sort of fade route um, into the corner of the end zone uh, against, I think it was Colorado in 2019. And he, he's... he's he shows, apart from the deep ball, he shows that he can make a lot of throws and he can make them on the boundary. He throws one against Washington as well, which I think the guy actually drops it again. I think it was on the QB school one, but it gets called a catch. But it is a it is a phenomenal throw, you know. And then it's it's one of those ones where you you see it and you and you think, well, I think this this guy's maybe got it at the pro level. But you know, it, it's 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 raw materials at the minute, and it's going to be Pep. If if Pep Hamilton can make a a starter out of him, it will be his best achievement to date, and it will very much overshadow the Justin Herbert and uh, and and Andrew Luck um, schoolings that he's done in, in previous. Oh, definitely. Um, with, I think it's a good situation, and it's great that we have Pep Hamilton to have with with a uh, with Mills. Um, but we'll see. And the point that I was, the question that I was going to ask is, granted, we keep talking about Mills and his potential. And he even even if he plays to his potential, he's not going to start this year again unless something catastrophic happens. 
But how does that make you feel about Nick Casario, where he took a draft pick, essentially used it on on a, a, roulette, a roulette chip, as I think what somebody on Twitter said? Like it's a gamble. It's definitely a gamble. It could be a it could pay out, and it's actually a pretty safe bet that it's going to pay out something, even if it's like a third round pick, versus drafting somebody that could come in and play this year. It was pick sixty seven. There was maybe not starter quality, but this year type players that were still available. Yeah, I think the, there was a couple of interior guys went at the, the back end of the second. Uh, Boogie Bash and went at the, the Bills late on. I think, you know, if somebody like that had been on the board, I think yeah, he, he goes defence. Um, yeah, I, I, th I think from the point of view, if you think, well, I mean, looking at this roster in all likelihood, you're going to be picking in the top three or four next year. Gives you a chance to actually get, you know, a more well in theory a more legitimate starter type player can can you can he do that um but it's not to say you can't do that with milk you know if you look at uh, prescott if you look at uh kirk cousins you know uh, russell wilson it's been done and it's been done actually more almost slightly more regularly in the last sort of five ten years um than it had been in the sort of five ten you know, previous so uh, there it's a it could be the highest payoff and i think that's probably what he's looked at it um as but I think yeah you could you have you know gone the the guy aside or is it um, from Texas is it the uh, the outside linebacker but I don't really think he's a fit for the system was there any clear court I think if there was a clear number one defender there that would have been a day one starter I probably think Casario goes there I think it was just the fact that the value matched up with the, you know with the upside and the grade I think and it was just a perfect storm for them to go um, you know and I think it was his it was Mark Berman quoted him or a family member saying that these the, they were celebrating as the Kyle Trask pick came in, as the Kellamon pick came in, because Caseri had already phoned them and said, "Look, if you're still there, we're taking you at 67." So he was obviously their guy. It probably shows an element of the Pep Hamilton influence and in his his uh, insight into the building. How much actually, you know, if it all been different, if Tim yeah. Kelly might, might not have been kept on for Watson's sake, perhaps he would have been, you know, and, and by all accounts, he's getting he's getting coordinated money so to be a QB coach so um I think you know he's played a big part in that and he will definitely be you know his mentor but yeah you, you, you've kind of got you've kind of got hope you don't see him in year one I think you know and you, people probably hoped that about Watson and then he came on um uh, you know halfway through week one so so wait and see um but I think there's there, there's a lot a lot there to like and it could go it could go 101 ways just like every one of these picks but you know even even if he comes in and gives you a TG Yates kind of when late in the season, you know, Monday night at Cincinnati, all those kind of good memories that, that, that Yates provided, if he even plays that sort of role, I still think it's a decent pick, you know, because winning winning games is what it's all about at the end of the day. No, I'm, I'm actually in agreement with you. Um, one of the things that I just wanted to scream at people is we're not playing for this year. This year... No, no, no. This year is a reset year. Um, just and Potentially next year as well. Potentially, uh, yeah, potentially next year as well. But this year is definitive, definitively a reset year, unless there, by some miracle Deshaun comes back, and yeah. and at that point, do you even want him back? And that's we're not going to have time for that conversation because we're at fifty eight minutes. But I'm an entirely in agreement. We were we're not playing for this year, so you take a risk on him. If he ends up being something, ends up being something special, he ends up being a Dak Prescott. He ends up being a mid level starting quarterback then it puts you in a position where next year when we're topic when we're drafting in the top five because we're going to be drafting in the top five we don't necessarily have to take a quarterback because there's not a guarantee that I mean, we we talked about it at length prior to this top five quarterbacks don't really end up that well like it it just doesn't happen usually the guys that are the guys that are good quarterbacks right now the top three pat mahomes wasn't a top five russell wilson wasn't even a first rounder and you know, Aaron Rodgers, eighteen, like he was picked eighteen, sat for two years, and of course Deshaun. And we all know Deshaun's story here by heart. So yeah, top five quarterbacks—they aren't the the surefire home runs that everybody makes them out to be. However, top five defensive players, top five yeah. skill position players, sometimes those guys are. Um, so just a lot more flexibility if this is a guy that they have a lot of uh, hope in. And you know what? If he turns out to be what most of us expect, and I'm sure even what they expect, nothing more than a backup quarterback, 
they can still pick their quarterback and then flip him in a couple of years going forward and have competition because it sucks, but it's not easy to draft a Deshaun Watson. Like if we could, if it was easy to draft a Deshaun Watson, he would have never ended up on the Texans because he would have been a, the first pick overall. Like you just don't know what to expect when you draft a quarterback. And I think that's why the team, you know, and I'm probably a, bit a romanticist in this sense, but I think the team has to do everything it can to try and, you know, a final roll of the dice, get people around the table and see if they can solve that situation. You know, legalities aside, and obviously you'll need to wait to the conclusion of that. Um, but I, I can't see any circumstance in the medium to long term of this football franchise of being better off if you ship four. If you ship four, Will always be in the shadow of that you'll always be remembered as the team that if he goes on to have a successful career you will always be remembered as the team you had the most val invaluable thing in all of pro sports and you and you messed it up for reasons nothing to do with football and look he might take you know 50 60 percent share of that blame as well um for you know for all the kind of off-field stuff but i think you've got to find a way to try and bring him back in house if he can i don't and i think it's probably too far you know reading between the lines but I think you'd much rather, because everything matters again instantaneously if he walks in the building. And, you know, and you could get all these picks and, you know, Cleveland did it, you know, tried it number three or four times. And you could get all these picks and hit on only, you know, you know 30%, which is about the average. Not even and sure no they hit on that many. Yeah, and, 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 be, and be no better off. And you could be no better off. Or you could hit all these picks and you'll still be a quarterback away and we're in the same position that we've been in before. So um, it's it's... Yeah, you you just I think you've got to hope that, that there's some way in in some some form of of recompense that you can do do. But I think if if the and I wrote an article about that on the website podcasttexas.com the other week there, and I'm, you know I think if 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 the McNairs are true custodians of Houston, they would do right by the alleged victims if they have been done wrong. They would do right by their quarterback and and provide the team as a as a platform for rehabilitation um and 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 for um you know for for right doing um you know for all the causes and and all the people affected and they would and they would and they would see that through but i think that's probably too much uh too too much bravery for, for a man of cal who you know if you saw him speak today at the, at the fire fire department um shirt hanging i think they must have had some uh spare uh bmac jerseys going around for 55 but they but the um you know you see him going in and 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 i think the way if you if you watch john the way if you watch the way his wife how, how she's now managed to get you know a very prominent role if you watch how she's just you know watching him as if she's just told him exactly what to say and he's regurgitating it it's, it's a sorry state of affairs so when you see there at the center of it all it doesn't fill you with hope that this team could be run in a manner which um you know they're already acting against Casario by the mess they, they gave him um Casario somewhat unknowingly so you know despite Casario being you know a professional and I think everybody loves to praise him and you know I'll wait I'll wait till 18 months down the line before you can make a, any sort of form of assessment of what he's of what he's done uh being you know beyond the light blue gilet that he was sporting uh, on rounds two and three but I think the um you know I think there's the, the, there's there's dysfunction at the top and that breeds down and I think that that may be our biggest undoing in all of this. So that's just something we we'll need to we we'll, you need to bear in mind. I think when all these decisions are made that it's not all it's not all on the surface. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, we've all expressed our opinion of Cal, um, Hannah McNair probably probably does. I mean, I mean. Yeah, he's made comments too, and that whole story, their whole their whole story is just a little. I'm just gonna leave it like that. Um, however, Nick Casario, did anybody forget to tell him the dark blue is our color, not light blue? Like, <laughs> I mean, dude's gonna be on TV in front of the the entire nation, and that was not the right color blue for him because that's gonna be a meme. All right, well. Thank you again so much. We are at uh, an hour and five, and yet, you know, I thought I thought I was going to run out of energy, and I thought it was going to be tough to actually get through it uh, tonight because it's been such a long weekend, and I know it's got to be like what two in the morning there, three in the morning, four in the morning. Yeah, getting late, getting late. But I think it's uh, <laughs> as you, as you said right this, at the top. I think it's about you know it's about the people and the tailgates and the, and as I said before we came on, I think we're probably going to need each other a bit this year you know so 
it's uh yeah. trying to make make sense of all the all the madness at times so um and it's it's well and I, I keep maintaining i don't think we've hit rock bottom yet and i don't know when that'll be uh but i think there's strength in numbers and some of this stuff so you gotta, gotta oh, keep your head above water big time it's it's gonna be once the trade goes through and we don't yeah. win any games like you thought the uh d hopkins highlights last year were painful yeah yes see nothing oh yet. man <laughs> we ain't seen nothing we're gonna need everybody and again yeah <laughs> but thank you so much been a wonderful guest made it made tonight um doable um and made it uh, i think a great show so thank you so much let them yeah, all know sure. where to find you where to listen to you you've got a great great pod um they definitely if they're listening to us they should definitely be following you as well uh, but yeah tell them where, where, where they can find you yeah, so it's the Turn Up For What podcast, um, and you can check us out at podcasttexans.com. Uh, write a number of, sort of articles and columns on there, um, just when inspiration strikes, and you can get us at Podcast Texans on Twitter, Facebook, and r- recently got into the interesting world of uh, Instagram as well. So, yeah, um, yeah, thank you very much, John, for having us on, and to all you guys that supported me through doing this last couple of years, much appreciated. So, uh just glad I could uh, come on and, and give you some time back, repay the favor a bit. Definitely. Whenever you want to stay up late, just let me know. We'll try and figure out how to squeeze you in. I always appreciate you when you're here or appreciate talking to you because it's the first time you, you're here, even though we've talked a couple times in the past. Uh, yeah. Chat, y'all, thank you for bearing with us every week. I'm always impressed by how many people actually show up in chat. Um, y'all make it worth doing. Um, I, I know some people are giving Ryan a hard time for distracting me earlier, but it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> but it makes it a lot more fun. There's a reason why we continue to do these live instead of recording them and making them clean. We want to be authentic. And a big part of being authentic is y'all in the tra- chat. So thank you so much. And to everyone listening, again, thank you for being with us here every week. We're going to need each other. It's going to be a tough season. It's going to continue to be a tough off season. Unfortunately, I think he's right. We haven't hit rock bottom yet. Gonna get there. We're gonna need each other. But it's gonna get better. It has to, right? Y'all, thank you so much. We'll see you next week.